this requires some commitment. Like we are needing to look at things differently. How do we handle those interpersonal relationships? And they're complicated. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby. On today's episode, I talk to Margaret Borisma, a coach and consultant who teaches critical social and emotional learning strategies to educators and companies, helping them to build better relationships in their organizations. She talks about the ways you can identify the emotional state of your team and strategies to improve emotional intelligence and the way you connect with others. She also invites you, my listeners, to talk with her further in Lunch and Learns. If you know how critical emotional intelligence is to a thriving workplace environment, but don't know quite where to start, this episode is just for you. Good morning, Margaret. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Nice to be here, Heidi. Awesome. So why don't you just start telling me a little bit about yourself, kind of your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Okay. Um, I've been a a professional elementary school teacher throughout my life. And I have had a real interest in um, how people grow socially and emotionally. And um, Part of that's because of my childhood experience. I didn't always have the best time in school. I wasn't an A student. And I uh, was bullied. And I think, you know what? This this still happens. It happens when we're adults. It happens in the workplace. Mm -hmm. People bully and people, you know, um, are victims and people are bystanders. And you can see it on the news all the time. So throughout my life, I did a lot of extra study. I had a life coach. um, And I've done a lot of work inside schools and with teachers in particular on how to curb the bullying. And we don't call it that anymore. But we now call it in the school setting, we call it social and emotional learning. And in the workplace setting, your listeners might be used to um, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I just have the real passion to make the world a better place by um, by providing trainings inside workplace settings, inside school settings, in, uh, in, in any setting, really, in society, to raise that emotional awareness and what we can do proactively. Because really, there are proactive strategies that we can do to prevent the situation so we don't have to be reactive in our response. That's great. I love it. I was just reading this post on LinkedIn the other day that was talking about how we still teach reading, writing, math, history, science in schools, and that we just continue those subjects. And my husband and I were having a conversation about, you know, why don't we have social and emotional learning as a foundational, you know, core subject along with diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, these really important topics that are arguably more important than knowing how to do algebra when you get into the corporate workplace? (laughs) Well, you know, that that you say with hesitancy, but I would say it with certainty, because why do most people lose their jobs? It's not because they 
aren't trained in the particular technical skills of the job, mm. or it's not that they're not able to learn them. It's because they don't have the social and emotional um, slate of skills, really. And and so, yeah, I think that's what it is. If you don't have the interpersonal skills to be able to get along with others, and everybody's always on teams, so how do you how do you get along on teams, and how do you proactively have a common understanding? of what's expected when you're working inside the team dynamic so that you forward the intention of the team and you do it with synergy, a sense of synergy. And that's hard to come by. And when you have the weak link or many weak links, then that impacts the overall accomplishment of strategic goals in your company, for example, which costs mm-hmm. a lot of money. So uh, that is key, and I don't think it needs to be a subject at school. I think it needs to be integrated with everything we do in school. Sure. Yeah. That's great. I love it. So I guess my first question would just be kind of, where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) Where do we begin? Um, I love doing like um, simple like one-offs. So today I want to provide you with with a, three practical strategies that you could start right away. Awesome. And I, I say it. that to say, you know, this requires some commitment. Like we are needing to look at things differently. How do we handle those interpersonal relationships? And they're complicated. So in, I'll use an example today that will really show the complications and help you help the listener to understand some examples in their workplace and how they might be able to manage them. But really it it requires more work than just a little podcast. Sure. Of course. And I can help them with that. Should they be interested? Great. Yeah. So um, if, if you, if you like, I can start with, um, I have a little assessment, a self-assessment. Would let's that work? Do it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. All right. So just to set up the premise, I want to say that we, we, I think it's really important to know that every single person is doing the best they can. Um, it's easy to, to be judgmental and to look at somebody as they're not pulling their weight on the team, for example, um, or they're awfully bossy or they're sarcastic or whatever it is. And I always, I really believe that Every single person is doing the best they can with the circumstances they have and the tools that they have. You know, a lot of us are into blaming the government for not doing or doing or whatever, right? And we let that impact our emotional well-being. And that is within our control. So I'll talk more about that um, after we do this little self-assessment. But this little self-assessment is about um, having teams... um, just just look at it as um, which state you might be in. I'm going to read some uh, states that I've created. I've named these states, and there's symptoms inside each state that you'd be able to relate to. So just overall, what state do you think you're in? All right, so we're measuring, actually, the leadership cultural impact based on the productivity of a team. The team is 100% productive. That's when the company is running optimally. 
So I invite you to think about your uh, a team that you lead or in which you are currently a member. And we have four different states. As I read the symptoms, select the state of your team on the productivity potential scale. So the first state is a state I call dysfunction. And dysfunction means there's a very low potential for productivity. You know you're in this state when your team members remain quiet when discussion is invited and gossip happens outside of meetings. Team members ignore the unspoken issue in the room, causing stress and disharmony. There is an increase in negative feedback, resulting in lack of trust and decreased energy, and decisions are made unilaterally. So basically, team members lack buy-in. They lack accountability, and they're not productive. The second state is a state I call struggle. Struggle means there is some potential for productivity. You know you're in this state when your team members complain about others, have excuses for behaviors, and blame circumstances. They do what is critical, but no more. Teams um, do not proactively implement strategies to manage stress. And they're not achieving strategic long-term goals. Contributions that are contrarian tend to be shut down, causing members not to feel known, hear, and understood by leaders. And members seek direction rather than take responsibility. So basically, in the state of struggle, team members do the minimum required, and that sometimes takes nudging. The third state is a state I call traction. Traction means there is a mediocre potential for productivity, You know you're in this state when your team members take responsibility for getting the work done in a reasonable amount of time. They're accountable to each other. Members have implemented new problem-solving strategies to manage stress, resulting in a decrease of stress over time. There's a culture of hard work, and each person does their own thing. So that's a mindset. There's still not synergy in the group. Um, Problem-solving happens top-down with very little member input. Timelines for strategic goals often need to be extended. And there's reduced absenteeism from the first two states and increased retention. So basically, things are manageable. Stress levels are mostly contained. People are coping and and things are tolerable. Then there's a big gap. And in that gap is where I can support people. The final state, is a state I call thriving. Thriving means there's full potential for productivity and synergy. You know you're in this state when your team members work as a tight-knit community and experience synergy while working on strategic goals. They plan strategic goals collaboratively and are executing uh, effectively in a timely manner. They exceed expectations for growth over time. There's a culture that encourages vulnerability and honest conversation. Members know each idea is respected and considered in order to reach a common view. They have a mindset of staying relevant, fresh, and creative. Members express themselves freely inside a new model of communication. And referrals from happy clients are abundant. So basically, there's a real sense of team having each other's back and moving the company goals forward. Real synergy is at play inside an environment of emotional safety. 
So I think by now people have had an opportunity to decide which category they might be in. Where do, where do you think most people might fall? Do you have a guess? Oh man, that's that's this. a tough question because as I was listening to you, I was kind of laughing, giggling to myself because like my career journey has gone from that like dysfunction to like the struggle. Like I've left jobs that have where the teams have like taken each one of those steps up. And I feel like my current team is much closer, probably still a little bit in that gap between, you know, struggling and thriving. But, um, but I think that, I don't know, would you, is it dysfunction? Well, it's not a guess. Like it's just depending on where you see yourself. So you've already shed a lot of good light into where you see yourself. And it's very normal to have, to recognize symptoms from the dysfunction and struggle state and the other state, which was uh, um, tolerable, right? And and not to see, I mean, most people don't really see themselves in the thriving state unless they've done some intentional work in emotional intelligence. And most people actually see themselves in struggle. But like I said, you know, there are different times of the year that you might see your state changing, right? And in the same company even. So, yeah. So, but it's interesting to know that it is possible to get to the thriving state. It's just, it takes some know-how. It takes some skill and intentionality in, in EQ, emotional intelligence, right? So... I have an interesting quote here. Would you like me to read it? Please. So this is um, this is reflecting on the importance of uh, social and emotional learning in the workplace, or EI. I should probably call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so emotional intelligence is the ability to sense, understand, and effectively apply the power and acumen of emotions as a source of human energy, information, connection, and influence. So Robert K. Cooper uh, is a neuroscientist, and, and he said that um, in the New York. He's a New York Times bestselling author and high-performance strategic business and life coach. So the way I like to the way I like to look at this type of learning, um, which or professional growth, is um, it's kind of like the waves on a uh, on the ocean. If you're standing at the shore and you see the waves coming in. There's maybe a big, big wave in the background Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of smaller waves in the, in the front. And at the crest of each of those smaller waves, you can see them as an invitation to discover. So if you get hooked, for example, or you get, sometimes we call it uh, triggered or activated, right? That might be a small wave, might not be a great big one, but it's an invitation to discover what is there for you to learn? So if somebody says something offhanded to you and you take it personally, that is uh, the crest of a wave presenting itself to you. And instead of um, becoming defensive or blaming another person, you can say, what am I supposed to learn from this? Why is this activating me so much? And usually that activation is much um, bigger than the actual situation calls for. And when, and when you take some distance, you realize that, oh my, I was really, that's your opportunity to discover why am I reacting like that? 
And usually it has to do with something um, in your past, often in your childhood, because because mm. we uh, we start uh, we adapt kind of colored lenses when we're children. Usually something happens around age four or five um, where we feel like we've lost control. And it's usually in the family setting because that's where we are then. But that's when we make a decision about ourselves and often about the world around us. Um, and because we're so egocentric um, at that age, we blame ourselves. So, you know, children whose parents have, have left the family or there's a divorce or a separation, they might think to themselves and put these, these colored lenses on, like, I am not lovable. Mm. Right? And then we go through life looking for evidence that we're not lovable. So when somebody says something to us that reminds us of that, we have a bigger reaction than, um, than we need to for that particular situation. Sure. So that makes total sense, right? And we all walk around with different colored lenses. So when we want to de-escalate somebody or calm somebody else down, we need to be willing to remove our own lenses and get behind the lenses of the other person. Hmm. And see things from their perspective with, with the idea that they're doing the best they can mm. in life. Sure. And there's a strategy for that, which I can teach you. You're listening. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to give you an example before I approach the strategy. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm on a, uh, this is an example that, that could be perceived as complicated, but human relations are, are complicated and sure. we can break it down so that it's um, simple. So I'm going to share the example and then I'll break it down afterwards. Okay. Expectations in human relationships can often be very high and they can often be unspoken, undeclared, right? So a subcommittee has been formed with the intention of problem solving a particular purpose. And after getting together for a while, we, I'm on the subcommittee, I'm, I'm spearheading it. We neglect to read the intention, assuming that we all know it, because the intention was so clear. And for so long, we started every meeting reading the intention so that there was no misunderstanding. Then we, we didn't do that anymore. Well, recently, someone stated that they're dissatisfied with the way things are run. And the person experiences a sense of tension inside the meetings, the tension to get through the agenda so that we can get off the call. Hmm. However, what is stated through a text, not the best way to communicate these things, is that we tend to forget to set the time for the next meeting before the meeting is over. And I, as a leader, tend to take things at face value. So I said, why don't we set the intention or the next meeting date up at the beginning uh, of the meeting? I thought that would handle it. However, <laughs> the reply was, um, <laughs> uh, let me see. The reply was, I would like it if we, you know, people could take their time coming in because they're often late from a meeting and they need some time to settle in and they need some time to eat or maybe change their clothes. It's all happening after the meeting started, by the way. And I thought, ooh, 
And there's no reason why we can't stay for the hour, even if the agenda is over before that. So the, I, it, what, anyways, I'll, I'll explain what, what I mean. So first of all, here's the breakdown. Communicating that kind of thing by text doesn't sure. work. You know, sure. that requires a conversation. All right. Secondly, um, it was a kind of a red herring to say it was about setting the time for the next meeting. Of that course. was indirect communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the real issue is not addressed. So what is really at stake there is what we can train ourselves in, in emotional intelligence um, training to really listen for what is not being said. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, in a text that can take a few back and forth, but you, that's what I'm trained in listening for, for what's not being said. And there's blame in this example happening at the same time. So I'm the one that wants to get off the meeting when it's done. So, you know, this is something that the listener right now may not know, but I do because of past history, right? So there's a lot of things happening here. And there's an expectation for social time inside the business meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I understand it. If I take my my lens off and get behind that person's lens, this this is what I would do. I would... um, paraphrase this is how you de-escalate someone too so here's comes the first strategy i paraphrase what what they're saying and what they're not saying so i might say something like it's uh, it sounds like you're really craving some social time uh and since we're all together in the meeting um and the meeting might end within the hour you would like to spend the rest of it socializing Right. And, and maybe that would de-escalate the person a little bit. And um, I might say something that the second part of it, besides paraphrasing, is uh, expressing how they might be feeling. So mm-hmm. especially in the pandemic, I might go on to say you might be feeling um, a real craving for getting together in a group style, sure. you know, that you don't get if there was no pandemic, for example. And I know this person, they're very social and they like big group gatherings. So that's mm-hmm. not off the mark. So those sure. are the two big, really important things to really get when you paraphrase and you get behind somebody else's lenses. You have mm-hmm. to paraphrase what they're saying and, and state what their feeling might be. And they might come back and say, yeah, and, and then you have to do it again. Paraphrase what they're saying and what they're feeling. And if you're really good, you can also... Um, state what they're committed to or concerned about you're Mm. committed to to bringing this group together and to really have a sense of sense of um friend uh friendship and companionship as as well as well and so that will help de-escalate the person and only once their emotional temperature is down will Mm -hmm. they be able to have a space to listen to where you're coming from so that is key. So that is example number one. So um, the strategy there is de-escalation. How do you de-escalate someone or calm somebody down? All right. And when you do that and you do it successfully, and it might take several tries, then there's a space created where they actually have room to listen to your perspective. And then you can ask them, so what did you hear from from what I'm saying, you know, like very carefully if, because they don't maybe know how to do that. All right. But I think overall we, here comes the second, second thing to remember. 
we need to take 100% responsibility for how we're reacting and experiencing our lives Mm. at any given time. If we don't, and we start blaming the leader of the team or the government for what they're doing and not doing, which happens everywhere on the news, everywhere. I mean, my Twitter feed is full of it, right? And then we are giving our, our control away. We're giving our power away. And only when we stop um, behaving like a victim will we be able to find and create ways of feeling empowered. Only when we're open to that. Okay? So th- that's the second one. Um, taking responsibility for what we can take responsibility for. So if there's a fallout in a team at work, then even if something is only 5% your responsibility or your fault, in quotes, we can initiate a conversation with another person Mm -hmm. saying, you know, I realize this is, you know, I giggled when you tried to propose a very serious conversation Take responsibility for how you reacted. If you can't take responsibility for anything else, but you need to take the initiative, that's taking 100% responsibility. And when, when, you, when you take the initiative for that type of conversation and you do it by taking responsibility first, then there's an opening and it brings all the defenses down in the other person. You mm. can have a real conversation that's about problem solving. De-escalation connection. Connection is the third strategy. So especially now um, in the pandemic, when we're all working in different ways, a lot of people are working from home. Some people are not even working. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some people are going into work part time or they're the only ones there or whatever. We need social connection. I've always had a a trouble problem with the with the term socially distancing. It's physical distancing Mm -hmm. that's needed. Socially, we need to connect. And so um, it's critical. We, I think in the workplace, we all need a buddy that checks in with us daily or we check in with each other daily. And you ask the other person, how are you feeling? And you have to just be quiet after that and let them say how they're feeling. And then do the de-escalation activity. Paraphrase what they're saying. So it sounds like you're having a rough day, um, you know, or your your dog is sick or whatever it was. And that must make you feel empathize. If we don't learn to empathize, we can't really solve any problems because there's an elephant in the room, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And then switch roles. So I have a committed colleague that I do this with regularly. And it helps so much because at the end of it, we both feel totally understood and we both feel totally heard. Sure. So I think especially now it's critical Um, in the schools. I'm, I'm teaching that every student needs to have an adult in the, in the school that checks in with them daily, whether it's the caretaker that's responsible for, you know, a handful of children and you don't do it as a group one-on-one, whether it's the, the secretary, whether it's the, the teacher, it doesn't matter, but there mm-hmm. needs to be check-ins because there's a lot of trauma happening right now. Mm-hmm. Children are also being, you know, 
victims of trauma right now. Yeah. And, and this is what they research says is the number one key thing that is important is we need to have children need adults, an adult that they connect with daily. And even just for five minutes, it doesn't have to be long. But I think if you can't sweep a classroom out, that's okay. Connect with that kid. And the same in the workplace. We need to connect with a colleague. We need to have somebody who has our back on an emotional level. Um, and I, that's important anyways, but especially in the pandemic. Sure. So those are the three strategies. I'll let you get get a word in edgewise now. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm just so, I'm soaking it all in. No, I think okay. that that's really, I really like also what you said about, you know, taking the responsibility because, you know, just for myself in my own kind of personal professional career journey, I really realized that I took a lot of limitations off of myself when I stopped blaming other things and other people for failure or lack of success or, you know, you know, well, I didn't get that job because that interviewer was in a bad mood or, you know, and, you know, you have, we have this tendency as just human beings to want to blame other people because we don't want to own up to anything. And it was really when I started taking that away and kind of going, no, I'm, I'm the only person who can determine whether I'm successful or not mm. at the end of the day, because mm. yeah, of course somebody can say, no, we don't like you for this job, but does that mean that I'm not capable of finding another position with another team? You know, those are limitations for me to then say, well, I give up. I'm not going to look anymore. That's a limitation I've just put on myself. Right. And so I, that really resonated with me. I think that that's really, really powerful is that taking responsibility and realizing, especially with um, a lot of the DEI conversations that people are having right now in the workplace with diversity and microaggressions and, you know, being able to say, have people come to you and say, you said something that offended me as a minority, as an LGBTQ, as, you know, someone um, who's differently abled, you know, and to then say, I'm sorry, I didn't know. How do I not do this again? Rather than, well, everyone's offended by everything these days. You know, that's kind of like the throw your hands up response that people get defensive with. And it's like, no, take a minute to say, to, to learn from that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. And I appreciate what you're saying about um, how you, how you were able to, first of all, with the hundred percent responsibility, how are you able to look at it and go, okay, so is there something here that I should learn? Because I think overall curiosity needs to be our overriding go to instead mm -hmm. of um, being offended uh, because when we're offended, we can make things a lot worse in the situation. And, you know, when there's a microaggression or whatever, that could just be a misunderstanding. Like you were saying, we need to get curious. We need to get behind that person's lenses and go, well, what's it like for you when I say something like that? And maybe, I, you know, realize, oh, maybe I, sh I, I can say it a different way or, Sure. You still want to be able to be um, somewhat self-expressed if, if that's possible, but just get mm -hmm. curious about how that 
how the way you've done it comes across. Sure. And I think that curiosity works both ways, right? It really does. Yeah. And I think that's an example of taking 100% responsibility because I think if we don't take that responsibility, then um, we, like I said, we're giving our control away. And if we give our control away, that's giving others control over our sense of joy, our sense mm -hmm. of inner joy. And we don't need to do that. Even inside a marriage, we don't need to do that. Mm. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's a very intimate space where, you know, that person knows exactly how to push your buttons. Sure. And, and we can take responsibility for um, finding a way not to have our buttons pushed. I, I think of it as like this fiery arrow could be from a spouse, could be from a boss, could be from a partner. doesn't sure. matter. Fiery arrow does not have to land in your heart as it comes towards you. It needs to land on the floor. And like the wave, it's an invitation to look. Okay. Cause um, if it does enter your heart, especially it's like an alarm. It's like, Oh, there's something I need to learn from this experience. If you can learn to let it land on the floor in front of you, mm. It's so much easier. Life becomes more joyful. It's not, you're not like a puppet being pulled in different directions depending on others, right? Sure, yeah. sure. No, I think that's really, that's really good. And I think that, at least for me, my initial gut emotional reaction to negative feedback is defense, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm aware of that, right? Yeah. I, I've, over the years, I've realized that like, uh, you know, kind of like my, my knee jerk reaction is how dare you, right? Like that's, that's what happens in my brain when I, when I get negative feedback, right? Yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, it, it, it's okay to have these emotions, but like being aware of it for me means that a lot of times I have to like, I hear what you're saying. Let me think about it because I have to then step back and walk away and let that initial gut reaction emotion of how dare you wear off. Yeah. And then really kind of take into account, okay, yeah, no, that, that feedback makes sense, but here's a, here's part of it that doesn't make sense. And then I'm able to go back and have that rational conversation rather than actually saying to someone, how dare you? Right. I love how you buy yourself time. That's a great <laughs> yeah. line. It is a great line. I hear what you're saying. Let me think about it. It's non-committal because you need space. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we do that. I've had conversations with my boss where I got activated. And I what I needed to do was just say, I hear what you're saying. Let me think about it. I'll be right back. Like if it's if it's a if it's a conversation that's not over yet, you want to be able to come back or and then you just go to the washroom and breathe or whatever you need to do to collect yourself. Or if it's appropriate, you can say, you know, can we continue this meeting, you know, tomorrow or whenever? Um, because you you don't want to make things bad for yourself because you're reacting to something that you haven't worked through. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, has, and, and often has nothing to do with the situation. And knowing that intellectually is really helpful because if you if then you can actually do something about it, if you're not aware of it, you're we're always reacting as human beings and on the sure. spot. 
and it doesn't serve us. Sometimes we dig our own grave that way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Well, I just have one last question for you. And it's the same question that I ask all my guests. If you had to choose one piece of media, it could be a book, an audiobook, a blog article, a podcast episode, a video, a TED Talk, whatever, that would help people who don't have a really uh, vast knowledge of emotional intelligence, what would that be and why? Okay. I love this book. I have read it three times now. It's Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Okay. And it's great for teenagers right through to 100-year-olds. It is fantastic, filled with practical strategies, with mindset strategies, like how to... Uh, how to think so that you have the optimum success. Um, And yeah, and and it also has some problem solving strategies. I find it very practical. And I read it out loud to my husband. So we just finished the other day again. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And he he likes to just lay back on the couch. He doesn't always want to do the reading. So he lets me read. And he's very good at taking it in. And then we have great discussions on it. So just following a book like that, even as a you know, even doing a book study as a, a, a team at work. Sure. Is, sure. Is, it brings different conversations in and then you're able to apply what you learn. And my, my second recommendation is um, Darren Hardy. He's a success um, guru. And he's, he, is, uh, he does like a five-minute every morning um, uh, video that you can subscribe to free and it comes in your inbox in email and it's, and it's so applicable to um, getting success and he does it to mentor businesses. And there's a lot of businesses that listen to that every morning or the leader will listen and then find a way of communicating that during the day. Sure. Yeah. So I would highly recommend that as well. Really, really good. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. Great. So, well, we'll share the links to both of those in okay. the show notes, as well as a link of how to visit your website and communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge. I feel like I learned a ton on this Monday morning. Oh, thank you. And listen, I wanted to offer your listeners um, lunch and learns. I do free lunch and learns. Awesome. Yeah, just to um, Similar to this type of thing, but we would I would have a conversation with you beforehand to see what you're grappling with, and then I would tailor make something for you. So it could be like I don't know, half an hour to an hour, and uh, and then if you decide you want to work with me, there's a way of having that conversation as well. Great, yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, yeah, thank you so much for joining me, Margaret. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.